Mark chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading in verse 38. And I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. The Gospel says this, As He taught, He said, Beware of the scribes, this is Jesus speaking, Beware of the scribes who would like to walk around who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. Now this is not an unfamiliar passage if you've spent any time in the church. And it's typically preached in a very particular way. Uh, Some of you are familiar with the old King James language. This is the passage often called the widow's might. Right? The widow's might. And typically when we preach this passage, we like to focus on the faith of this woman who gave everything she had to the treasury, even though in the context it would have looked like she gave very, very little because she had almost nothing at all. And so we've often focused on the faith behind her giving and we've held her up as an exemplary person in the church, a person we all should imitate in one way or another. And she certainly is exemplary. Jesus calls out her faith and he makes sure his disciples don't miss this moment because it is true that it's so easy when people give out of their wealth and they give these large sums of money it's so easy to name buildings after them without any respect as to what percentage of their income that actually was and those who give so little you could never build more than or you couldn't even buy one of the chairs in the sanctuary with it but the percentage of their income is so much And we don't name that chair after them. It is easy to have uh, those conversations about this story. And certainly the widow is one who was exemplary. But I don't think that her story is in the gospel according to Mark for those reasons. Which is why we read the broader context. Is it interesting to you that in the context of this story, around this faith of the widow are two condemnations. One of the scribes in the Jewish leadership and the other a condemnation of the temple itself, and in the middle, this story of the widow. That's the space we're going to explore today. Why this context? Why does Mark arrange it in this way? And if I have any one word or or sentence to sort of summarize what we're going to talk about today, it's this. God has never intended giving to be exploitative. God has never intended giving to be exploitative. There are three pieces of the widow's plight here that I want to talk about. First, it's the foundation of the religiousness of Israel. Second, the faith of this widow who was trying to be as godly as she could in the midst of that religion. And then the fire that Jesus promised was coming on the temple. We're going to start with the foundation of the religion of Israel. Look at verse 38 again in Mark chapter 12. 
As Jesus taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses, and for the sake of appearance, they say long prayers. They'll receive the greater condemnation. Now, Jesus' judgment here of Jewish leadership is not unique to Jesus. These kinds of accusations have been made before. In fact, they were made by the prophet Isaiah just prior to the destruction of the southern kingdom of Israel. Uh, you can turn there if you want to. I'm going to read just Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. And this seems to be what Jesus is echoing in his condemnation of the scribes. This is Isaiah chapter 10, verse 1. Ah, you who make iniquitous decrees, who write oppressive statutes, to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be your spoil, and that you may make the orphans your prey. What will you do on the day of punishment, in the calamity that will come from far away? To whom will you flee for help, and where will you leave your wealth, so as not to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain? For all this his, God's, anger has not turned away. God's hand is stretched out still." So the accusation from Isaiah, and this is a pivotal accusation because all the prophets make it, is that somehow the religiousness of Israel had mutated into a means of extracting wealth from those who could afford it least. And Isaiah finds the entire structure of the religiousness of Israel to be just polluted by this greediness. We have to remember that widows and orphans and resident aliens were some of the most vulnerable people in the culture of ancient Israel. And they were some of the most vulnerable people in the Jewish culture of Jesus' day, in the first century Palestine. Widows couldn't own land, they couldn't take care of themselves. If they didn't have a husband or an heir to manage the property, it often fell into other people's hands, and many found themselves destitute. And so, most people who are in that kind of desperate situation, in a culture that believed that your material wealth was a sign of God's blessing, and your material poverty was a sign of God's cursing, they often would do anything they could to get back into God's good graces. Whatever anybody told them it would take in order to be saved, in order to be forgiven, in order to be reinstated, they would do. Now the law of Moses legislated some ways of helping folks who were vulnerable like that, who were exposed. And there were general admonitions in the law of, Mo of Moses to being gra gracious and merciful, hospitable, and all these sorts of things as means of possibly protecting. But, still... There were loopholes in that law that in crafty hands could be used for exploitation. And most of them had to do with how the religious centers got financed. It's this that's, that's somehow at stake in this story. That those who are the most vulnerable are also the most desperate. And when they're the most desperate, they're also the most ripe for being preyed upon. Jesus claimed that the foundation of the Israelite people had become corrupted by this kind of exploitation. We don't know what he means when he says that the scribes devoured widows' houses. Scholars have spent a lot of time trying to figure out exactly what Jesus is targeting. But I don't personally know why they bother. 
because I think the very next story tells us exactly what's in Jesus' line of sight. And I'm willing to bet, this is a guess, but I'm willing to bet that the scribes had no idea that what Jesus was going to expose was wrong at all. I'm willing to bet that his criticism of them devouring widows' houses would have shocked them if they knew what he meant. That's the foundation. Let's look at the faith of the widow. Verse 41. He, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury, watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now, as I said at the beginning, it's common in reflection upon this passage to hold up the widow's faith as exemplary. And she is a commendable person. I mean, Jesus commends her faith. But given the context in Mark, I really don't believe that's why this story is here. I suspect Mark intended us to understand Jesus' indictment of a system that would have led this woman to believe that what God wanted of her was to give away everything she had to make the temple more beautiful. What kind of a system is that? The truth is that the Law of Moses actually did not require the poor who participated in these social projects of gleaning or of receiving generosity or almsgiving or any of those things. The Law of Moses did not require that they tithe. The tithe for the Law of Moses was for those who were landowners who had a source of income. It was not for them. So the law actually exempted them from doing that. But somehow, because of the teachings of the religious leadership and the traditions of the Israelite people, this widow had come to believe that it would be honoring to God if she gave every last penny she had into the temple treasury. Now that's exemplary faith, and it's worth talking about. But what of a system that caused her to believe that that was a godly decision? The same corruption which permeated the religious institutions of ancient Israel, continues to permeate many Christian communities as well. How many times have we led people in the church to the impression that if they give money, they will get it back? The foundation of the worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had been so corrupted that the authentic and genuine faith of this widow, and she wanted to serve God. This woman was willing to sacrifice all she had in terms of material means just to do what was right for God. And her religious institutions told her the best way to do that. And she believed them. And she did it. Things had become so corrupted that this genuine, authentic faith had been exploited. Jesus predicts the fire. Mark chapter 13, verse 1, As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, You can just imagine the scene, right? 
I mean, what did it take to build this temple? It was gorgeous. The, the historical records tell us that Herod's temple was one of the most beautiful works in the ancient world. It was impressive, huge stones, gorgeous, well manicured, lots of gold, lots of precious stuff all over the place. It was, it was impressive. We're told that, that pilgrims, for the first time seeing it, would sometimes weep because of its beauty. And now we know the inside scoop. How was it built? By devouring widows' houses and exploiting the vulnerable, so they gave all their money to it. That's how it was built. But they didn't recognize any of that. It was just beauty, right? It was just impressive. And so the disciples, seeing all this, say, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. And what do you think Jesus would say? Yeah, this is impressive. Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. I suspect that the reason that Jesus' prophecy of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem immediately follows Jesus' judgment against Jewish leadership for devouring widows' houses, and immediately after the story of a widow who gave an exorbitant gift in faith to that temple treasury, is because Jesus would not marvel at the beauty of a religious structure built at that cost. In fact, it may be why the earth is destined for fire. Because nothing of beauty here has been built without this kind of blood. A corrupted foundation led to the exploitation of faith which Jesus said would result in the fires of the destruction of God falling on that system. We pool our resources as a congregation and as a church, because we believe in what we're doing together. That's why we do it. We give for the ministry we're doing together, and congregations and boards and denominations, they should hold us accountable for the way all of it is used. But we give to the ministry of God to bless others, not to bless ourselves. God made other promises under the first covenant He made with the Israelite people. There were promises of blessing for their obedience under the covenant of Sinai, that's true. But we as Christians are not under that agreement. We're under the new covenant of Jesus. And we give of our resources because we want to care for one another. We want to grow in Christ-likeness. We want to serve our community. And we want to participate in the sharing of the good news of Jesus both here and around the world. <coughs> our tithes and our offerings are not intended for our children to starve as a sign of our faithfulness to God. Nor are they intended to guarantee us a blessing. We will find none of that in the New Testament. These financial gifts we give are to support and to extend those ministries in Christian community that make disciples of Jesus, that share the good news of the gospel, that care for the hurting. And I do believe that if we can support these ministries and we believe in them, that we should give. Because both believers and unbelievers need them, and they would not exist without our participation. Shall we agree not to build our community on the exploitation of the desperate? If you need help, don't throw your last dollar in the offering plate, 
the way some folks throw their last dollar at the lottery or on scratch tickets, hoping that this is a way to get a windfall back. That is not the theology of the church, however often it is the practice of the church. Come and talk to us, and we'll help if we can. This is the love of God into which we are called. And this is a kingdom built on the person of Jesus.